the Lord continues to shape and mold them. Man, oh man, it is good to be back at Renovation Church. I miss you guys. You don't realize that, right? Do you realize that? I miss you guys when I leave, right? It's, yeah, you miss us. Thank, you miss me. Thank you. That's really why I said that. You know, I just, just wanted that emotional hug. No, truly, um, you know, can't say enough about how much this church has always supported our family and just blessing us. And when we go on vacation or, or whatever, just such joyful uh, generosity. And so many of you continue to step up and, and, and lead and love people and care for each other. And it gives us the ability to just exhale a little bit. I was telling Bob, man, like, what'd you do in Florida? It's like, we basically paid money to be together somewhere else. And that's basically all we did. <laughs> we paid a lot of money to be together somewhere else. And it's just like, okay, you know, we could probably do it differently. But uh, it was nice to be 80 degrees, 12 straight days without any rain. Do you realize that other people live like this? Like, this is their life. This is what they do. It's normal. And, uh, but we're tough, and we're strong, and we have character. So we live in central New York. There you go. See? Preach. Preach. Anybody can live in Florida. But Syracuse is a special kind of person, and that's you. That's you. Uh, you know, while we were gone, too, just to, just to mention, it was good to see other churches. You know, that's one thing that really blesses me. I love our church, and I, I want to be here, but at the same time, it's also a blessing to actually see what God is doing uh, in the world when we're on vacation. And so we went to two Acts 29 churches, one in Claremont, Florida, called the Loved Church, and another church called the King's Church in Lakeland, Florida, right? So, uh, two Acts 29 churches. You know what I love about Acts 29 churches? You get the same thing no matter where you are. You can't say that about a lot of denominations or a lot of traditions. It is Jesus. It is the gospel. There is the mission. There is a vibrancy in the worship. There is a deep sense of community. And I just want to say it was encouraging for me to be like, we're a part of this. Right? This small little fellowship in North Syracuse is a part of another uh, a thousand churches across the globe that are preaching Jesus, that are mobilizing His people for the mission, that are creating a, it was a multi-ethnic uh, fellowship. It's just wonderful to see what God is doing in the world. And we're a part of that. And that encourages me, and I hope it also is an encouragement to you. And, and I encourage you, when you go on vacation, go to church. Find a church. Worship Jesus. You know, be that couple and family that when you walk in, that small church plant's like, oh, another young family. And then you're like, we're from Syracuse. Just really uh, disappoint the leadership, you know. Sorry, we're from Syracuse. We're just passing through today. And they're like, oh, thought we had another family. Anyway, uh, just a blessing to be back. And, you know, um, it, recognize, too, like a lot has gone on in the last two, three weeks. Right? What about Ukraine? When I left, that did not start yet. We were wondering what would happen. And then to get emails from Ben Layer in Poland, who we uh, support as a church, to get letters or emails from him 
explaining the, the thousands of Ukrainian refugees that are coming into Poland. And if you know where he is in Poland, the city called Shetlce, it's right near Belarus. So when you cross that border in, in Belarus and Poland and, uh, and uh, Ukraine, they're all like right there, nestled in, and they're coming right into his city. And pastors are the primary social workers right now in Poland, welcoming these people into their homes. Churches are welcoming Ukrainian Christians into their homes. There's an amazing gospel opportunity, but there's also a huge need right now. And yet the Church of Jesus Christ is at work even in Poland. And Ben is asking for us to be praying for him. He's sending some of his elders to preach in other churches where the pastors are so tired from hospitality, they don't have any time to prepare messages. It's heavy. So let's continue to pray for Ben, uh, uh, the, the work in Shetlcet. Pray for the Ukrainian refugees coming into Poland. Again, we are a part of that blessing. This small little church right here in North Syracuse. Right? And it's just exciting to know that, that the Lord is uh, uniting us to these folks and also using us uh, in, their, in their ministry. Just exciting to, to know. A lot has gone on. We're praying for Ukraine. Also, while I was gone, Covenant Church starts meeting in their location that we had been 15 months planning for. That's an amazing thing to think about. Amen? Guys, we planted a church. Renovation Church planted a church in keeping with its vision. Right? Faithful to its calling. Generous with the most valuable things that they have, its people. That's what we did. Right? We're trusting that God's going to use that. That happened in the last couple months, but even more specifically the last couple weeks, as they finally have come into their new location. All praise, glory be to God for that. Amen? It was hard for me to not be there. But then again, it was 82 and sunny. So we praise God nonetheless. <laughs> a lot of new opportunities ahead for us as a church. A lot of new things. A lot of new people. A lot of new leaders. We're in a new season. I come back from vacation. I feel like we're in a new season. We're, in many ways, replanting this congregation right here. There's going to be a lot of new. New can be scary. But new can be exciting. I believe this new, whatever the case would be, is going to be good. We have good days ahead here at Renovation and in this community. Amen? And with all the changes and all the newness, there's one thing that never changes. Jesus, the Gospel, and His Word. Right? So what do we do together right now? In the midst of the chaos of this world, we come to that which never changes, that which is immutable and true eternally, and is the Word of God. We're going to preach it, we're going to hear it, and we're going to respond to it. Amen? So let's come to Matthew 19. We're in Matthew 19. The Pharisees have come to Jesus, trying to get a brother, as they always try to do. Next week we're going to see that a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And yet before that, we see this short little passage that we could easily skip over. 
that we could just say, ah, write a blog post about it. There's not much there. Move on to the rich young ruler. And yet Matthew puts it here for us to see, for the Spirit of God to work in us through it. So let's look at it. Uh, We have the Pharisees coming next week, the rich young ruler. And this morning we have parents coming to Jesus with their children. How will Jesus respond to these children, to these parents? How does Jesus treat young ones? How does He treat children? And then, of course, what does that mean for how we treat them as a local church and as a people? Matthew 19, 13-15, listen to what He says. Then children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the children come to Me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And He laid His hands on them and went away. The grass withers and the flowers fade. And the Word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would speak to us and that He would reveal all that You are to us. That He, uh, that You, by Your Spirit, would change us. Do Your work. In Christ's name, Amen. We see here in 13, parents bringing their children to Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly, but I think that we can kind of surmise of what's going on. Right? Jesus is engaging in His ministry in and around Galilee, and uh, many people are coming to Him. And uh, it says that children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. Uh, it's most likely the case that the people that were bringing these children to Jesus were parents. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus to receive a blessing. This was a common practice for the people of Israel. Right? Parents would bring their children to a rabbi. To lay their hands on them was a physical uh, sign of blessing them. And would pray for them. This was uh, what commonly took place. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I don't know uh, where you are in the parenting family realm. You may be single, you may be married, you may be a family, not sure yet. But if, if you have children and you have any sense of what having a child means and the significance of it, it makes a lot of sense to me that you would be thinking, how can I have my child live under God's blessing. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm a little crazy. But when I think about the privilege and the responsibility that I have as a father and as a parent with these three children that I have, I think to myself, you know what these kids need? They need to be blessed by Jesus. They need an encounter with God. 
they need to sit at His feet to be touched by Him and to be blessed by Jesus. Is there any more powerful desire that's inside you as a parent than your child, your son or your daughter, to be blessed by Jesus? Think about the vulnerability of a child. Think about the deceit and the wickedness in our world. Think about the propensity of the human heart. Yes, as cute as Lily and Johnny and whatever cute as they are, at first opportunity, they will disobey God. Right? There, there's a, a brokenness in every beautiful child made in the image of God. So there's a brokenness and there's a, there's a propensity for them to turn away from God. When you think about that propensity, when you think about the onslaught of the enemy, we understand that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy children. When you think about all the challenges and, and the, and the uh, um, competing narratives that are in the world, tell me there's not something more important and significant for our children than for them to simply be touched by blessed by and received by Jesus. So it makes sense to me. It makes sense. It makes sense that parents want their child to be blessed by Jesus. The question I have for you, parent, is that even in the forefront of your mind on a day-to-day basis? We're watching this new show. Don't judge me. You can if you want. It's called Swagger. It's about this teenage kid who can play ball. Right? Plays well. He's, he's on the rise. He's, everybody's really he's the next hot shot in the D.C. area. And the, the, the dominant concern of the parent is how many likes this kid's getting on social media. He's 14. The dominant concern of the parent is he gets to practice. The dominant concern is the right AAU team. The dominant concern of the parent is him preparing for the NBA. That is their life as a family. And everything revolves around this kid making it. And I couldn't help but notice how jacked up and distorted that can be. And almost reflective of the way that we think about our children in our home. That there are certain things that we want them to do. There are certain things that we want them to pursue. There are certain kinds of people that they, we want them to become. And we orchestrate our whole lives around that. But if we come to our senses for a moment, is there anything more significant than bringing your child to Jesus to be in His presence and to receive His blessings? I don't think there is. Is there anything that keeps me up more at night than thinking, uh, you up more at night than thinking about just simply the spiritual well-being of your child? Of all the goals, hopes, dreams we have for our children, 
Is there one that rises to the same level as simply living in the joy of Christ's blessing and presence? That's what these parents are saying. We need our kids in the presence of Jesus to receive his blessing. And so they bring their child to Jesus. You think about academics and athletics and the family business. And we think about beauty. Such a significant thing for for young girls. You know, being living into this American dream that we're selling are being sold to our kids. And oftentimes we think about God's blessing and the American dream and we allow those things to come together, don't we? And almost like they're one and the same. And we think, man, if if only my kid gets a good job and has a beautiful home, raises a nice, cute family, has a pool and a, a couple SUVs, makes a good living, saves for retirement, and then collects seashells in Florida, my kid has really grown into the person that they really need to be. Don't equate the American dream with Jesus' presence and blessing. I know I can sometimes struggle with kind of just peeling that apart. So these parents bring their children to Jesus. And what do the disciples do? They're the bouncers. They're the ones making sure nobody is distracting Jesus, no one that shouldn't be around Jesus doesn't come into His presence, making sure Jesus is focused and prioritizing His time, right? And so these parents come and they bring these children and what do we see the disciples do? The text says that they rebuke those who bring children to Jesus. The disciples rebuke the people. Their assumption here is that Jesus has more important things to do with His time. He's got more important people to see. He doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the space, the energy. He doesn't even have the desire to deal with this. He's got to prioritize Jesus. He's read the new leadership book. Right? Good to great. He knows you've got to focus. You can't get bogged down with insignificant distractions. He's delegating seemingly insignificant matters and people. Hey, you guys deal with those things. I'm going to do the most important thing. I'm going to live into my strengths. Not get bogged down with these insignificant things. You know these kind of leadership books you read, you get excited about, right? He's got to maximize his impact. He understands, of course, like disciples, that, that children are to be seen and not heard. Oftentimes, kids can be seen as uh, inconveniences that want to slow that slow us down. They're keeping us do the more important things. They keep they keep uh, us from that promising career, that accomplishment that we have, that that those more fulfilling aspects of life. How do you see children? Hmm? The disciples see them as insignificant. It's not all that different than how society saw children at this time. Insignificant. Yeah, gifts from the Lord, thanks so much. But in terms of status and role and function, very insignificant. Very insignificant. They were um, to be seen and not heard. 
how does Jesus see the children? Disciples see them as insignificant inconveniences to be dealt with later, to be quiet, to be pushed aside. But look at verse 14. But Jesus said, even in those three words, right, you see contrast. The disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, there's a contrast to how Jesus sees children and how he therefore treats children. He says this, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Such a contrast. Right, we're growing accustomed to Jesus getting into conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But now we see him in conflict with his own disciples. Right? But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Get out of their way, guys. Don't hinder them. Permit them access to me. Be sure to provide a clear pathway for these children to come to me, to be into my presence, and to receive blessing from me. Put no obstacle in their way. As a matter of fact, if there are any obstacles for children to come to me, to be in my presence, and to receive my blessing, you get those obstacles out of the way. Nothing can hinder them. Clear the path. Remove the obstacles. Jesus is calling His disciples here to provide clear pathways for them to have access to His presence and blessing. Isn't that an amazing thing to see? The King of the universe, the God of all gods, the most significant being there is, Don't put any obstacle in the way of who you would see to be the most insignificant. Provide a clear path for them. I want them in my presence. I want to bless them. What an amazing thing. And then he tells us why. And when he answers it in verse 14b, he's reframing our perspective on children. That's what Jesus is doing here. And I want us to see it. He's reframing our perspective in light of who they are and and who they represent in the kingdom. This is crazy again. We see this shocking uh, reason that we've, we've kind of encountered before in Matthew. Why should they not get in the way? Why should they permit children to come to Jesus? For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To children belongs the kingdom of heaven. Children. Children? Yes. Haven't we encountered this before? Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? Shocking. Right? As Jesus teaches us about the kingdom, He's turning our expectations upside down. He's exposing our man-centered, on-the-surface view of everything. He's challenging our value system. He's turning reality upside down. 
Jesus sees children different than we do in society. That's what he's saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Blessed are the meek. What? Blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake. Wait, you're telling me that those who are persecuted and hated and reviled, those are the ones that are living joyfully in God's favor? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm saying. Children. Children. The most insignificant in role and function in society. The people that you would least expect. They're the ones who are citizens of my kingdom. They're the ones that have entrance into the kingdom. I'm turning your expectations upside down. I need you to look at the world, at reality, at the kingdom differently. You're seeing it all wrong. I need you to look at it differently. That's what he's doing to the disciples. And maybe that's what he's doing for us as well. We're shocked to hear what Jesus is saying here. Those of such an insignificant role and status in this world have status and significance in the kingdom. Children. J.C. Ryle says this, Let us learn from these verses that the Lord Jesus cares tenderly for the souls of little children. Young as they are, they are not beneath His thought and attention. Isn't that an amazing thing? That mighty heart of His has room for the babe in its cradle as well as on His throne. He regards each infant as possessing within its little body an undying principle which will outlive the pyramids of Egypt and see the sun and the moon quenched at the last day. And so He cares for their souls. Right? Awesome. Such gospel wonder in this truth. Such good news for us. The door of hope for children and really for all of us swings wide open. It's so otherworldly. It's not how the world thinks about things and it's not how the world operates in terms of understanding value and significance. And yet this is what Jesus is saying. These children who have no role or status in society, who are kicked to the curb until they earn such significance, are welcomed by me, are loved by me, are a priority for me. They're my creation. They're made in my image. I receive them and I love them. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about today? God of the universe. But not just young children. Young children, I'm not saying something different, saying that, but not just children, but also we understand that this idea of the child has been a metaphor that Jesus has been pointing us to to talk about anyone who comes to Christ. Right? That a child is a metaphor for what it means to be a disciple. You remember back in chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, uh, specifically verse 4, Jesus says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So a humble childhood is a picture of discipleship. That's what makes a child a metaphor for discipleship and kingdom citizenship, right? A child, as we've said before, comes to Jesus in humility, in helplessness, 
totally dependent upon Him, and a child comes trusting. A simple, sincere trust in Jesus. And that's what disciples do. They come to Christ like a child. They come to Jesus helpless. They come to Him uh, in humility, in total dependence upon Him, and they simply and sincerely trust in Him. And then what? They're received into the kingdom of God. Right? To enter the kingdom and to be great in the kingdom, you don't need to achieve something. You don't need to perform for God. You don't need to earn anything by merit or accomplishment or religious deeds and works. You don't need to become someone significant before you are able to access Christ and His blessings. No. You simply need to come humbly, right? In, 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 in hope, in helplessness, and in the deep sincerity of total dependence and trust on Him. If you're here today, do that. Come to Christ with your helplessness, with your humility. You know who you are. You know how much you need Him. Come to Him like a child. In sincerity, in simplicity of trust, and let Jesus receive you and bless you. Isn't that an amazing thing today? At the end of the day, the, the, the playing field is level here. Aren't we all simply just children in the presence of Jesus needing His hand to be upon us and for His blessing to be given to us? All that we're doing and accomplishing in the world, trying to make something of ourselves, isn't it just wonderful to know that Christ's presence is available and He is willing to just simply bless you as you come to Him helpless, dependent, and trusting Him. Come to Christ today. He will receive you. Amen? That's what He does. He receives and blesses children for who they are and who they represent in His kingdom. Right? And that's what verse 15 tells us. He laid His hands on them and He went away. He sees who they are. Clearly. He's aware of who they represent. Citizens of the kingdom. He receives them. He blesses them. And He leaves their mark. His mark on their lives. And as parents, isn't that what we want for our children? You see, I think what's happening here is we're seeing the way Jesus treats children, right? He, he receives them and He blesses them for who they are and who they represent in His kingdom. And as He's doing that, He's instructing the disciples and us to do the same. Receive and bless children by bringing them and pointing them to the person, the presence, and the blessing of Jesus Christ. To give our lives to them. To treat our children with care and intentionality. Right? And to see children differently. 
not as inconveniences, but as gifts and creations made in the image of God. Children as opportunities and gifts that God has given to us to shape and to mold and to influence and to raise up as disciples. And so, I want to encourage you to think about that. R.C. Sproul says this, Jesus' words also demand that Christians treat children well. If Christ will not turn them away, how can we? How can we? So couples, as the Lord allows, the Lord allows, seek to have children. And if for whatever reason, in terms of providence, you're unable to conceive, adopt children because of who they are and how Jesus treats them. See who they are. Treat them accordingly. Such an opportunity to live and share God's blessing with others. Parents, those who have children, disciple your children. Or to say it more with the text, point them to, bring them to, create pathways for your children to experience the presence and blessing of Christ Himself. That's your, that's your role as a parent. That's your calling as a parent. That's your job as a parent. Right? Deuteronomy 6. All the way back, old school, old covenant. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, right? You shall what? Teach them diligently to your children. The commandments. You shall talk about them in your home. You should write them on the door frames of your houses. It's always been what God's design has been for parenting. Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Right? Parents, disciple your children. Let's simplify this a little bit. Okay? This gets like, oh no, what do I do? Read the Bible with them, pray with them, sing with them. A lot. I don't know, that's, we complicate this. Man. We sit down for family devos. Bernie, Bernie and I joke about this all the time. For like the first ten years of family devotions, if someone didn't get punched, we called that revival. Okay, nobody got punched today. Praise God, we're really making progress as a family. When you do family devos, it can get wild. Okay? Right? Like somebody's throwing food at you, spilling juice, and you're just crying. Like no one's going to get saved in our family. Right? Like, it's hard. But listen. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Sing with them. A lot. Not necessarily for 45 minutes. Our kids make fun of us. We say, we're going to do family devos. And the kids go, I don't have an hour. All right, we've got to simplify this. Like, five minutes. Start there. Ten minutes. Start there. But do it. Because when you do, you're, you're, you're pointing them. You're saying, there's blessing. There's Jesus. Talk about Jesus as life happens. Let it just be 
part of your conversation. Right? It's not just something, okay, we talk about Jesus at 7 o'clock on, on Wednesday. No, we're always talking about Jesus. We're integrating Christ, the Gospel, the truth of the Scripture, and just the way that we're living, the way that we're talking. Just do it. Talk about it. it that's the easy part for me, just talking. Right? My kids, it's the discipline stuff i got to always gotta keep maintaining. I'm going to say one other thing here. Church, bring them to church. Families, bring your kids to church. Every single Sunday. I'm going to say it. Bring your kids to church every single Sunday. Uh, Terry Johnson says this. How do you bring your child to Christ? Bring them to church. It has a powerful impact for children to be in the presence of worshiping adults. It is here, church, primarily that the means of grace are operative. That the world is being, that the word is being read, sung, preached, and heard and the sacraments are being administered. It is here that the fellowship of the saints is being enjoyed, and I would even say absorbed. Right? It's an important word. Again, we bring our kids to church. We feel like we didn't even go to church. I get it. Right? It can be difficult. It can be loud. It can be obnoxious. And you wonder, what's the point of all this? Your kids are rolling on the floor. They're under the seat. Like, no, nothing good is occurring here. I don't think that's true. When your kids are in church, they're observing, you're modeling, they're absorbing worship. What it means to be a faithful worshiper of Jesus. So if you want to point your kids to Jesus and His blessings, bring them to church. Bring them to church every single Sunday. 18 years. 52 Sundays. 936 Sundays you've got with your kids. 936 Sundays. Don't miss them. Because, you know, I got a college kid this fall. Like, ain't nobody getting her up for church in August. Well, on, on Sunday, 937, will she get up? Will she go, I know where to find Christ's blessing, blessing in heaven? 937. That's when, that's when the rubber meets the road in parenting. Then when you, that's when you start to see the fruit of your labor. Sunday, 937. you got 936. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. i got to speed up. Renovation Church as a whole provide pathways for children to find the presence and blessing of Jesus, right? So that just means this. Like, serve in nurseries, serve in kids, right? Get involved in somebody's life. Do you know there are people in our church that uh, intentionally invest time mentoring younger people here. Right? People say, we don't have a youth group. But we did. We actually had a youth group going even before we were doing this Youth 305 thing. People were meeting with teenagers. I've watched my two daughters experience such joy as older women have met with them for lunch, invested in them. There are, I know there's a bunch of you that are ready, willing, and able to do that. And I know there's a bunch of young people that would welcome such investment. How can you as a church, how can we as a church be those who do not hinder, who, who let children come to Jesus? Right? We spend time, we seek them out. I would not be standing here today in this pulpit. I would not be in this church. I probably would not have the life that, I, I don't even know how I'm married to her. and I don't even know how it happened. If it wasn't for people in the church outside of my family who cared for my family and, and brought me brought me breakfast and 
taught me about Jesus and prayed with me, if it wasn't for people in the church coming alongside me and pointing me to the blessing of Christ, I would not be here today. Do we kind of look around this church and go, if we don't invest in these children, they will not be here someday? Let's, let's be passionate about discipling these young ones. Let's model faithful worship to our children. Let's strive to be known as a church in this community that receives, loves, and blesses children and the younger population in this community. 2015, we, we, we came here, we, we had a few conversations with some visitors and also some uh, village officials. And we started asking this question, what's the most pressing need in this community? And the first answer I got was sidewalks. And I thought, okay, I think we can pick that one. All right, sidewalks, all right. Then we started to dig a little bit deeper. And you know what they said? There's a grandmother in tears looking me in the eyes and said, the young people, the young people. I'll never forget that young people. Right? And so we should take that seriously. As we think about reaching this community, North Syracuse, Liverpool, right? the young people. The young people. Let's think about strategies and ways that we can connect with young people in this community. I'm excited Brandon Swain is on the, the Cicero Youth Board. That's brand new the, uh, the last couple months. Right? Our building relationship with the village, they've invited us to be, participate in the youth board. Brandon's sitting on that youth board. That's going to give us a doorway to get involved in a, uh, an organization called the Canteen, which is right outside, right in front of Cicero and North Syracuse High School. I think as opportunities arise, that this congregation should be all over blessing those young people. A lot of them are hurting, and a lot of them don't know it, but they need the presence and the blessing of Jesus to deal with the lives that they have. Right? Let's continue to follow into those footsteps because we are a church that is committed to bringing the gospel to every man, woman, and child. It's not just a cute phrase, is it? Is it? Every man, every woman, and every not forget that this isn't just a cute phrase. This is central to the, to, to the heart and the mission of Christ Himself. Let the children come to you. Do not hinder them. Because they touch belong to the kingdom of heaven. Right? And I think about like the days ahead. There are no guarantees. We can do all this and there are no guarantees. Right? It's not math do X, Y, and Z, this will happen. I've got a very close friend of mine who did this. Put in heart and soul. And uh, is, is in tears and has rug burns on his knees and an empty stomach from fasting praying for his errant daughter who's moving out at 18 and potentially getting in some pretty jacked up relationships and lifestyle and is willfully walking away. There are no guarantees, but the stakes are high. And you know what that means? If we're going to love children 
like we're going to make ourselves available to the younger people of this congregation and community, we're going to have to do something. This is a work that only God can do. Amen? He's going to use us. He's also going to use us as we pray, we cry out, we beg. We beg for the souls and eternity of these young people. Right? And really, again, that makes us all children again, doesn't it? We're just kids. And we need the Father. We need the Father. That's what Jesus does. He reminds us who we are. He receives us as those who are humble and trusting. Right? And he points us to a, a new way of seeing young people and a new way of treating them. Let's do that in the way of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We praise you for the gospel that is in it. And uh, we ask that you would do a mighty work in our young people. Pray that you would open our eyes to see who they are. Made in your image, creations, loved by you, blessed by you. Motivate us to come alongside them. May we be a church that loves young lives and gives them the space and love and the care that they need to find your presence and to drink of your grace. Bless our young people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.